So we started this series last week. So if you're just joining us, you're kind of in on the beginning. You can go back and watch online or listen online and download last week's message if you want to. But I asked the question last week, how do you find real happiness? And what is real happiness? Anyway, because people spend a lot of money trying millions of different things to find happiness. Happiness is a top priority for most people. It's a quest for many people. Yet few people find real happiness. It seems to have an elusiveness to it. it there's so many opinions. You know, just jump on your social media and you'll find opinions galore on how many, so many paths to happiness. Do all of those paths lead to happiness and blessing? Do any of them lead there? And we asked the other question of what is a blessing anyway? How do, do you, how do you define blessing? Would we even know that it was a blessing if a blessing walked up and kind of smacked us in the face? If we pray for God to bless someone, or like we did two weeks ago, God bless America, how do we know if that has even happened or not if we don't know what a blessing is? I told you last week, so because I'm repeating it, this is three Greek words in a row. Don't start asking for this all the time, okay? I told you last week that in the Bible, in the New Testament, the word bless is, in the Greek, is makaros. And I bring that up only because makaros is also the same Greek word that's translated for happy. Blessing and happy in Greek, both the same word. They mean the same thing. In other words, to be blessed is to be happy. To have a blessing is to have happiness in your life. So when Jesus says, we're going to look at it. When Jesus says, you're blessed if you do this, what he's saying is, you'll be happy if you do this. So today as we continue our series from Jesus' most, the most famous sermon he ever taught, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon was so impactful that Jesus' disciples and his followers they took notes. I'm going to ask you to grab your pen, click it, get the spiritual clicking going on, and, and I'm going to ask you to take notes, just like they did. They wrote down what Jesus said, and then they copied it and copied it and shared it, and they told two friends, and they told two friends, and so on and so on. And then now we're 2,000 years later, I'm going to share with you the eight things that Jesus said, as we studied the Beatitudes, the eight things that Jesus said, this is what will bless your life, or this will, is what will make you happy. I want God to bless your life. Let me just go on record. As your pastor, I really want God to bless your life. I want you to be happy. I want God to bless your relationships. I want him to bless your teenagers. Oh, do I want to bless your teenagers. I want him to bless your finances. I want him to bless your career. I want God to bless your marriages. I want God to bless your health. I want God to bless your future. I pray for you, I'm pulling for you, I believe in you, I want God to bless you, and I want you to be happy. And as we study Scripture, what we find is the problem isn't with God. Let me just let you know, all through Scripture, none of the problems are with God. You know, just, have I mentioned you should read your Bible lately? Yes. God's not the problem. The problem's with us. God wants to bless our lives, but we have to get blessable. 
a lot of us don't live in ways that God can bless or that God will choose to bless. God isn't going to bless sin. God isn't going to bless arrogance. God isn't going to bless pride. We talked about that a few weeks ago. God isn't going to bless indifference. God isn't going to bless selfishness. There's a lot of things God's not going to bless. He will not bless. So when Jesus starts this very famous sermon, the first thing he starts with, we're, we're going to learn the eight conditions for happiness, the eight conditions for God's blessing. The fact of life is that life is tough. Everybody agree with that? That even in the first world, even in a country as great with as many freedoms that we live in, we celebrated a few weeks ago our independence, even though on the world standards as an American, you got it made, the reality is life is tough for everyone. Life is hard. Life is difficult. And it's because ever since the garden, ever since Adam's sin, this world has been broken. And everything in the planet is broken. Nothing works perfectly. I've told you this many, many times. Your body doesn't work perfectly. Wait till you're my age. You'll know your body doesn't work perfectly. The weather doesn't work perfectly. The economy doesn't work perfectly. No relationship works perfectly. Marriage doesn't work perfectly. You, by the time you're back from your honeymoon, you realize that, right? Life is full of losses. Life is full of diseases. We have, we have diseases. We have defeats. We have disappointments. Folks, this is not heaven. Turn to the person on both sides. You say, this is not heaven. Okay? I said it's paradise, you know. Paradise with a whole lot of humidity and a whole lot of bugs. That's what Florida, that's what we call paradise. But even here, this is not heaven. That's why we pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is. Oh, y'all know that one. Because in heaven there are no diseases and there are no defeats and there are no disappointments. But on earth, Nothing works perfectly all the time. We have trials and we have tribulations. We have sorrow and we have suffering and we have diseases and disappointments and, and we have defeats. So how do we rise above the inevitable losses in our life? How do we rise above them? Today, we come to this second beatitude. Often I will share this. At funerals, Matthew 5, 4, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So in the eight ways to be blessed by God, the second way, this seems, this seems crazy, this seems ludicrous when you think about it. It seems just so upside down. It, it's almost irrational, unnormal, because Jesus says one of the ways, one of the top eight ways, the second way to be blessed is to mourn. Now, what does he mean by that? In other words, the way to be happy is to be sad? It's like, Pastor Jerry, I, I just I don't understand what Jesus means. That seems like a great reversal. What does he mean by this? God blesses those who mourn. That's what we're going to look at today. How God blesses a broken heart. How to handle the losses of life. Now, I don't know what you're going through right now. 
Some of you are so good at hiding it, you put on the happy Jesus face, and you come in with your Z88 music playing, and we just think you have a perfect life until we get on Facebook, and then we realize, ha, 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 that's Photoshopped, you know. Uh, I don't know what you're going through. Some of you, though, I know are going through a difficult time. Maybe you came to the service today, and, and your heart has just been churning inside. You got conflicts. You got chaos at your house. It's like, when are the kids going back to school? You're already done with summer in your mind. Or maybe you're coming today and you had a bad health report. You've got to go get tests. Or you've had tests and you got the call. Maybe you came in today and, and you got laid off. Or the pandemic took your whole career out or your whole company out. Maybe you're here today and, to be honest, if you're real honest, you'd say, yeah, I, I just had a knocked down, drag out, I had a big fight with whoever, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife. Shouldn't be both. You didn't have a wife and a girlfriend. You know, we've talked about that. Okay, so it's one, either or. I'm not concluding those. All right. Someone said, oh, my wife is my girlfriend. I guess that's okay. <clears throat> maybe the money isn't there where you need it. Maybe... Maybe you're under tension and you're under stress. There are so many people who are at the breaking point. Let me just tell you, there is an epidemic of anxiety like never before in our young people. They're all dealing with, and you parents, you're dealing with it because you're coming to me and saying, you know, my kids have, have anxiety. They have, they, they're, they're, they're coming apart, you know. More kids failed last year than ever before. Go figure because they're doing it on Zoom. Um, if I had Zoom in high school, I'd have flunked too. Okay, I didn't do my homework when, you know, they, they, they gave me time and made me watch me do it, you know. Um, we didn't have phones for distraction, you know. Uh, so I get it. Life is hard. Maybe you've suffered a loss, you know, just at a funeral yesterday. Great saint, 83-year-old, loved Jesus. Man, I love doing those kind of funerals. They're fun, but not every funeral is fun. The last one, I lost a good friend of mine. Stood right here, bald like a baby. Maybe you've had something that's caused you grief. <clears throat> Today I want to look at how does God heal a broken heart because we've all had our hearts broken and yours may be breaking right now. Or maybe it was broken but it hasn't healed yet. Because this is the second beatitude. Jesus says, God blesses those who mourn. How does God comfort me when I grieve? And the Bible I want to give us six ways that God blesses a broken heart from the Bible. And I want you to jot these down. If you don't need them today, I'm happy for you. I'm really happy. But you'll need them soon. And if you don't need them today, I'm really happy for you. But there are people in your life that need these right now. And you can help. So I want you to jot this down. The first way that God heals a broken heart, number one, is God draws us close to him. Will you fill that in? God draws that close to him. One of my favorite verses, in fact, it's for sure my favorite verse in the Old Testament. It's from my favorite psalm, Psalm 34, and my favorite verse in my favorite psalm. Kristen, my daughter, already quoted it. She knows it's my favorite verse. Um, psalm 34:18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. Man, if your spirit has ever been crushed, God wants to rescue you. When we're grieving, oftentimes we feel like God is... Like Bette Midler used to sing, somewhere off in the distance, bad theology. God is not off in the distance. God says, no, 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 I'm not a million miles away. When you're hurting, when you're crushed, 
in spirit, when you're brokenhearted, what does it say? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's never been closer than when you are brokenhearted. What you, you see, what you feel and what's real are not the same thing. In fact, what's real, you don't always feel. And what you feel often is not real. Not everything you feel is real. The Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted, whether you feel it or not. You know, the brokenhearted person, they don't feel like God is right there. That's why he's reminding us. He's paying attention. He's not distant. 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. What does that mean? That's the difference that Jesus makes. If you don't have Jesus in your life, then God's not close to you in that moment. And you're on your own. You don't have any other resources but pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and soldier on. You know, keep calm, carry on, stiff upper lip. You have to handle the pain by yourself. And some of you, you have made an admirable effort of doing that through life. But let me just tell you something. God never, never, never intended for you to handle your pain by yourself. That's never been God's plan. First, the Bible says that God draws us close to him. The second thing, I want you to write this down. God grieves with us. That's how he heals a broken heart. God is close to us. He puts his arm around us, and he grieves with us. He doesn't say, you shouldn't feel that way. He doesn't say, suck it up. He doesn't say, get control of your emotions, young man. Nope. God grieves with us. In fact, the reason we have the ability to grieve is because we are made in God's image. And the Bible tells us that God grieves. The Bible tells us that God weeps. God, when he sees how we treat each other in our sin, he weeps. When he sees how we, when he sees wars that destroy each people and the planet being destroyed, God grieves, God weeps. And we're made in the image of God, his image. And the Bible says, that God weeps with us. In other words, God is a suffering God. He's a sympathetic God. He's not standing off on the sidelines. He's right next to us, and he suffers with us. Isaiah 53, 3 says he, and, and Isaiah is writing about Jesus here. This is a verse on prophesying of the Messiah. He says, he was despised and rejected a man of sorrows. Have you ever seen that verse? Have you ever realized that? Jesus was a man of sorrows. It says he was acquainted with deepest grief. So when you come to Jesus with your hurts, it's not like he says, you know, I'm so sorry, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. When your heart is breaking and you're in pain, it's not like Jesus is going, man, I just don't get that. I just don't understand that. You know, just buck up. Put on a happy face. No, Jesus, it says, was a man of sorrows, and it says that he was acquainted with grief. Best example of this, for those of you who read your Bible, I keep mentioning that. John chapter 11, when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, when, Laz when Jesus saw the grief on Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha's face, in John 11:35, shortest verse in the Bible, by the way, it says in John 11:35 and 36, then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Circle the word loved. You see, grief and love go together. 
It's actually evidence of love. The more you love, the more you're going to grieve about things. If you're callous, if you're cynical, if you're apathetic, if you don't have, you don't just don't care, it's because you don't have any love in your life. If you don't care what happens to anybody else, you don't care what happens to your neighbor, you don't care what happens down the street, because you, you don't have any love for them. You don't care the consequences or there's a tragedy next door. The more you love, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, the more you love, the more you're going to grieve and understand grief. We have a God who sympathizes. We have a God who understands, who knows, who knows us. The Bible says that Jesus started crying. Jesus cried. Let me just say this to all the men, because as a whole, men, we don't like to cry. I've had guys say, you know, Jerry, men don't cry, except in sports movies. Rudy, that's okay, you know. But men don't cry, you know. I cried in Secretariat. It's kind of a sport, you know. <laughs> but we're taught as a society to tell our little boys, buck up, you know, to get control of your emotions, you know, it's, we're macho guys, and guys don't like to deal with those emotions. Nobody does. So those negative feelings, one of the first things parents tell their, tell their kids is, stop your crying, stop your crying. We need to reevaluate that. Really? Is that what we really want is to teach our littlest among us to start stuffing their emotions? The Bible says that Jesus started crying and that sadness is not weakness. Look, Jesus was the strongest man who ever lived. For a man to show emotion is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Weak men are scared of their emotions. Weak men are afraid of tears. Freaks them out. They go a little bit nutty. Scares them. When you're a strong man, you're able to express. You're not afraid of emotion. You're not afraid to show it. Now, I know some of you say, well, we just didn't cry in my, in my family growing up. Well, you're in a different family now. You're in God's family. And God weeps, and Jesus cried. So it's okay when you're grieving. Jesus was the strongest man who ever lived. So never be embarrassed. Never, never be embarrassed by tears. So the first two ways that God's blessing, how he takes a broken heart and he blesses it, is he draws us close to him first, and then, number two, he says, I'm going to feel it with you. So that pain that you feel in that separation, God feels it too. That pain that you feel in loneliness, God feels it too. That pain that you feel in rejection, God feels it too. That pain that you feel in embarrassment or disgrace or failure, God feels it too. He's with you, and he's feeling it with you. Third thing that God does in blessing our broken hearts, God gives us a church family for support. You're in a new family when you're in the family of God. When God adopts you through the cross into his family and you become a child of God, he puts you in a church family. God never meant for you to go through life on your own. God says, I didn't intend for you to go through the hard times of life. I didn't intend for you to go through grief on your own all by yourself. If you're trying to carry your load all by yourself, you're carrying a load that God never intended for you to carry. In fact, I could say it this way. If you're trying to carry it all yourself, you're not in God's will. God wants you 
to allow people to help. And if you're saying, well, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to, I'm going to keep this a secret. I'm just going to keep this to myself. Well, you're breaking one of the promises of God's word. Because God says we're meant to grieve in community. Healing comes in groups. Healing comes in the church. Healing comes in community. Because, like the cup says, we're better together. We're not meant to carry it on our own. Romans 12, this is verse 5, verse 10, and verse 15. You should read this in context. Don't let a pastor just pull three verses out and just read them to you. You should go back and read all of Romans 12. We talk about Romans 12 so much, you probably should memorize that whole chapter. Have I mentioned you should read your Bible? Romans 12, 5, 10, and 15. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. In Christ, we form one body. That's the church. The church is the family of God, the body of Christ. And it, the Bible says that each member belongs to all the other members. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I actually grew up in a church where they called each other brother and sister. Brother Freddie was my pastor. We didn't call we called him Brother Freddie. Now some of you joke around and call me Brother Jerry. That that's a little creepy nowadays, okay? But it's biblical. Okay? So if that's how you want to do it, you can call me Brother Jerry, I guess. I'll I'll handle it. <laughs> Just Jerry's fine, you know. Um but it's biblical because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of God's family. And it says that we're to be devoted to each other as a loving family. How are we devoted? Well, we sympathize with each other. That means when you have a victory, I shouldn't be jealous of that victory. I should be cheering you on. I should be excited that you got that promotion, that you got um, a victory in your life. I should celebrate your success. And... When you have a defeat, I shouldn't gloat over that. I shouldn't be like, ha, ha, ha. He, I, I, I should mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate. The Bible says that God gives us a church family for support. And we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Let me give you a couple suggestions because right now you're in one of two places. You're either in pain yourself and you need comfort or you're not in pain right now, and you need to be comforting those who are in pain. One of those two things. You either need comfort or you need to be the comforter. Either way, this is a message for all of us to be using. If you're not in major pain right now, you're like, things are okay. I'm, I'm, I'm all right right now. Then you should be asking, how can I follow what Jesus is telling me to do and comfort those in pain around me? First thing you got to be, you got to be aware. You got to be aware they're in pain. There are people in pain right now, probably on your row. If there's nobody in pain on your row, because you're the only one on your row, then then there's there's somebody in pain in the row in front of you, or somebody in the pain in the row behind you. And if you care, you'll be aware of that. Let me give you two suggestions when you're comforting people. I'm not going to teach you; it's just going to mention them. When people are going through a loss, there's two things that we've got to remember: whether it's financial loss, a physical loss, health loss, loss of a loved one. First of all, never minimize the other person's pain. Never minimize the other person's pain. If you're going to try to one-up them on pain, like, well, you broke your, you broke your toe, but, man, I broke my ankle. Well, you know, you, you had it, oh, but you, you just don't understand. 
Don't minimize another person's pain. And don't rush people. Don't rush people. So you show grace. What I mean by rushing people is, you know, sometimes we have a feeling of we, we want people, we don't like to see people in pain. So we want them to hurry up and get through it. So it's like, you know, get over it. Get over it. Aren't you over it yet? You don't get through the griefs of life. You don't get through. You, you don't get over a broken heart. You get through it. You don't get over the griefs of life. You get through them. So God gives us a family, and we're not to minimize people's pain, and we're not to rush them through it. The fourth way that God blesses a broken heart, okay, he gives us his own presence. He grieves with us. He gives us a church family. And number four, God uses grief. God uses a broken heart to help us grow. We fill that in to help us grow. God uses pain in our life to help us grow, and he uses it in three ways. First thing God does is he uses pain to get my attention. Sometimes that's the only way God can get our attention. We're so busy. We're so tired. We've got so many things going on that sometimes God allows pain in our life to get our attention. C.S. Lewis, one of his famous quotes is, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is like God's megaphone. Like, hello! It's like, whoa, yeah. You see, we rarely change when we see the light. We change when we, hear, when we feel the heat. So, and sometimes it takes a painful experience to get us to change our ways straight out of the Bible. So God uses grief to help us grow by getting our attention. Then God uses pain to bring good out of bad. One of the verses I quote the most in a given year is Romans 8.28, quoted at least at least 50 times a year. That's almost every week. Romans 8.28 says, We know, you should circle no, not we think, not we hope, not we guess. No, it says we know that God causes everything, not some things, not most things, not just the good things. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God's kids. This is not a verse for everybody. But if you love God, you're one of his children, and you are called according to his purpose, then we know that God uses everything to work together for your good. Always. So it's an opportunity when we go through grief, when we go through pain, when we have a broken heart, to grow in our character. Every time you go through pain, you can't control all the pain in your life. Some of you may have chronic pain. You're in pain every day. And it may be with you for years and years and years. And you can't always control that, but you can decide whether that pain is going to make you bitter or better. Whether it's going to be a stepping stone or a stumbling block to you and those around you. So God brings good out of bad. And then number three, God uses pain to prepare me for eternity. God uses pain... He uses pain to get my attention. He uses pain to bring good out of bad. And he uses pain to prepare me for eternity. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. What troubles? Whatever pain you're going through right now is a present trouble. The, the sickness, the sadness, the suffering, the lack, the loss, the pain, the pressure, the problem, whatever you're going through, 
These troubles are getting us ready for eternal glory, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze, we refocus, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You've heard me say this before. You're not taking your car to heaven. You're not taking your house to heaven. Jesus is building you a new house. You're not taking your stuff to heaven. You're not taking your clothes to heaven. You're certainly not taking your career to heaven. But you are taking your character. And that's why God is a lot more interested in building your character in character development than he is in comfort we're interested in comfort because let's face it we would all like life to be easy but remember i told you this isn't heaven so god says no 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 i'm not going to make your life for 70 80 90 100 years easy that's not his goal his goal god's goal is not an easy life that may be news to you god's goal is christ-like character in all of us because character is going to last for trillions and trillions of years this is the get ready stage this is the learning stage this is the warm-up act we're all in preschool we many of us we whine like we're in preschool why me why me you know i mean just look around it looks like preschool most of the time these present troubles we're going through, whatever your problems and troubles, whatever the pandemic, whatever the, the economy, whatever the relationship, whatever the, these present troubles are getting us ready for eternal glory. That is a comfort to know that. When we don't see any purpose or the, in the pain that we're in, we end up giving up. When the pain is unceasing, I've been in ICU with people that have been in so much pain, they wanted to die and human being can only take so much pain and it's not like it's 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 a lot and you just feel so you've been there some of you you've had you've been with people and you said lord please just let them go because they're in so much pain but when the pain never stops and the pain keeps going on we need to know there's a purpose for us to keep going what is god doing well first he's trying to get my attention second he's trying to bring good out of bad third he's preparing my character for heaven teaching me to trust him in spite of the pain. My grace is sufficient for you. And he's given me an opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness. Because things that are seen, everything we see, isn't going to last forever. But our character and things that are unseen will. All right, got to keep going. Number five. The fifth way that God blesses, the fifth way that God heals the fifth way that God makes us happy when we're mourning, God gives us the hope of heaven. God gives us the hope of heaven. This life is not all there is. It's just the warm-up act, like I was saying. We have so much more to live for. And the amount of time you're going to spend on earth is relatively small compared to eternity. You know, there's a lot of ways to illustrate this. The best illustration that I've heard recently is from the study we did on real heaven. Chip Ingram talked about 
quoting someone else. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Augustine. And he said it was like if you, if you took a string and ran it all the way out to the edge of the solar system to, to Pluto and you put one little dot on the string, the dot on the string that runs from here to Pluto, the dot on the string represents the 90, the 80, the 90, the 100 years that you live here on Earth. And that's just like, we can't get it. We just can't comprehend that. There's nothing that can illustrate for us that for millions and millions and billions and billions and trillions and trillions of years to infinity and beyond, to quote that great theologian Buzz, it's light here. It's hard for us to get. We don't understand because today's problems seem so overwhelming. I mean, I just, Jerry, you're talking about eternity, man. I'm just trying to get through the weekend. I'm just trying to get through the quarantine. I'm just trying to get through the summer. And I want to tell you, that's why we have to refocus. Because you realize, if this was all we had, if we had no hope for heaven, I would be in such despair because there's just too much bad in the world. There are too many rapes. There are too many people getting molested. There are too many children who are being abused. There are too many wars. There's too much racism. There are too many people being tortured. There are too many people being persecuted for their faith. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. There are too many people that are burning up their lives with all kinds of addictions and chemicals. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 And now, dear brothers and sisters... We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Circle the people who have no hope, that last phrase. The people who have no hope, like people who have no hope. There are two kinds of grief. You can grieve with hope or you can grieve without hope. Let me tell you something. You want to be in the first category. You want to grieve with hope. Now, as your pastor, I've done hundreds, probably 300 funerals in the last 30-something years. Great funeral yesterday. It wasn't like this, but I have done funerals where I've stood in front of people, or I've stood at the bedside of people in ICU as they've taken their last breath dozens of times, and I've, I've looked in the faces of people with no hope, no hope. For their loved one who died. And I've seen the terror in their face. The despair. The anguish. I tell you. It is a test of your faith. The test of your faith. The test of your worldview. The test of your belief system. Is not measured by your success or the parties of life. The test of your worldview is how you handle the failures. The test of your belief system is how you handle the funerals of life. And how you handle the death. That's the acid test. The Bible says we have a hope. No matter how bad it gets, no matter what we go through, no matter how long it lasts, we have a hope. But buddy, this isn't all. We have so much more to look forward to. What is our hope? Revelation 21.4. All the way, this is the second to last chapter of the, whole, of the whole Bible. It says, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, 
All these things are gone forever. I'm looking forward to that day so much. One day God's going to wipe away every tear. One day there's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more suffering. There's going to be no more mourning. There's going to be no more sorrow. You know, the older I get, the more people I know who have passed away and are now are now with Jesus in heaven. It's like more and more and more and more and more, more people that I know who are there. And it gives me a longing and a hope that I'm going to be there someday. I'm not ready to go today. I mean, I'm ready to go today. I'm not wanting to go today. Are you ready to go but not wanting to go? That's where I am. You've got to be ready and packed, ready to go. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's one of the six hopes. Finally, the last one. And this is probably the one that we can apply most. God uses our pain to help others. God uses my pain to help other people. There is a purpose in your pain. You think, where was God when I was abused? Where was God when she left me? Where was God when he did this? Where was God? Where was God? God, because he's close to the brokenhearted, was right there with you, and he felt your pain. And he's going to use that to bring good out of bad. And he's going to refocus you and say, no matter how bad it is, we have a hope in another direction. And God wants to use your pain to help others. There's a purpose in your pain. God doesn't want to waste a hurt. God doesn't waste hurt. We waste hurt sometimes because we're not willing to use our hurts, our pain, to help others. But God wants to use your pain to help other people. Who better to help a mom with a special needs child than another mom with a special needs child? Who better to help someone who's lost a son or a daughter in war than someone who's lost a son or daughter in war? Who better to help someone who's lost a limb than someone who's lost a limb? Who better to help someone who's had an addiction than someone who's walked that path and had an addiction? Who better to have some, help someone who's had a marriage failure or a molestation or an abuse or, or any of the other evils in the world? We've all lived through them. Who better to help than someone who's been down that path too? So God doesn't want you to waste your hurt or your pain. He wants you to, it's redemptive. He wants you to use that hurt to help other people and redirect your focus. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says he comforts us in all our troubles so we can comfort others. When they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. The reason why God comforts those who hurt, those who mourn, is so we can help others. So listen very closely. Your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurt, your deepest ministry. God wants to turn your misery into ministry because you can relate. You can say to that person, been there, done that. You know, whatever your story is, you know, my parents were abusive too or my, my parents abandoned me too or my first marriage crumbled too or my, my kid you know, was on drugs too, or my, whatever it is that you've been through. I had a failure in that area too. Your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest hurt. 
We think the world is impressed by our success, our prosperity, our popularity. The world is actually impressed by our response to adversity. They want to see if you're a real Christian who really turns to Jesus and relies on God to get you through the tough times of life. And then, oh man, that's real. I don't have that. We think our success gives us credibility as a witness. God says, no, it's not your success, it's your suffering. It gives you credibility. And God wants us to take the deepest of hurts and let him heal us, let him comfort us, let him heal our broken heart so that we can then be used to help others. And let me tell you, he can redeem that hurt if you'll let him. So the bottom line, I'll say it again, we're in a broken world. Nothing works perfectly in this world. And that means every day you either need to be comforted or you need to be comforting others. Write that down. Every day I need comfort or I need to comfort others. And if you wait till you're completely healed, you'll never help anybody because you're never going to be completely healed this side of eternity. God wants to use you to help others even before you're completely healed. In fact, he'll use that to continue your healing. So if you're going through a tough time right now, welcome to the planet. If you've had some problems and some hurts and some heartaches and some broken hearts, welcome to the human race. Let me be the first one to just welcome you to God's family. You're normal. It's okay. It's what you do with that. Do you run from God or run to God? Do you allow God to heal that broken heart or do you harden that heart? That's what the body of Christ, that's what the family of God, that's what we're supposed to do. We want to help you carry those burdens. Let God heal you through the arms of his family. Don't carry this on your own. Turn to him. Turn to your church family. Let God use you to comfort and encourage others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for seeing us. We know that you see what breaks our hearts. You see what keeps us up at night. What we worry about when everyone else is sleeping. You see those places in our heart that hurt so much. We feel hopeless. We feel helpless. God, we know you comfort all who mourn. You provide for those who grieve. You said that you would give us joy instead of our mourning. So today we come before you as a family together with our hearts open before you. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for healing for broken hearts. We pray for healing for broken relationships, for broken marriages. Lord, that you would reconcile relationships, reconcile those relationships in our lives with family, with loved ones, with spouses, with our kids, with coworkers, whatever it might be. In those hard places in our lives, when we feel like giving up, Lord, please help us to remember that our hope lies in you. Make us all in our brokenness to be living trophies of your grace. That others would see that we've not given up on you. That our hope is in you. 
And give us the courage to do what is right, no matter how we feel. Give us the courage to ask for help if we need it. And even the courage to accept that help. Father, we pray for your strength. For some of us, we ask for the strength, the strength that we find in you. We don't ask for strength for tomorrow, because tomorrow is not promised. But we ask that you'll give us enough strength, moment by moment, day by day, today. Give us the strength to face our pain, knowing that whatever we're going through, you're going through it with us. We're not alone. And Father, we we pray that you would redeem our pain and bring purpose out of it. That you would use what's happened in our lives for your glory and for your honor, even the bad stuff. That you would draw people to us. People that we could help. People that would be willing to look at us and, and see Jesus because we haven't given up on you. Thank you that this life is brief and that our struggles are only momentary. Thank you for the hope of eternity. Help us to live in the light of eternity every day with passion, with drive, with hope, with love, the love of Jesus. And thank you for the blessing and the gift of the hope of heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, it's Mel. Thank you for joining us online this morning. We have a strong and very active prayer prayer team. Let us know how we can be praying for you by going online to SeminoleChurch.com forward slash prayer. We're more than halfway through the summer vacation now. So if the kids are getting bored, be sure to check out our summer calendar of events online at SeminoleChurch.com. You'll find information about fun Fridays and all the activities planned for power-up, wildfire, and limitless. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. See ya.